Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody as we continue in the Gospel of Mark. We're glad that you're in the house of the Lord and joining with us today. What was your favorite superhero growing up? Can you remember some of the kids out there? Do you, what, what's your favorite superhero? Every, everybody's got one they kind of lean towards, or, or, and, and some of you are a little, little crazy about it. Um, check out how much money Marvel's making, and you'll see. Some are a little crazy about it. But uh, who, who, who comes to your mind? I, I love The Incredible Hulk. I, I thought The Incredible Hulk was so awesome. I don't know if I just thought I liked the idea of raging, you know, and just uh, uh, yelling and, and, and exploding out of my clothes, shirt, ah, rip it off, right? But, but I loved watching these superheroes. It was, it was fun. And, and you might have one of your favorites too, but my favorite part in all those movies, there's that moment where it's like, come on, show them you're a superhero. Come on, show off, do it, do your thing, right? And they're getting bullied a little bit. And I, and I can remember the Superman movies, especially. I remember watching these Superman, and it's like, come on, Superman, show yourself, show yourself. And, and he'd be getting pushed around because they didn't know who he was. And it, it, this is the difference between who he was. This was it, glasses. <laughs> and that threw them all off, right? They were like, oh, who is this guy? Lois Lane, could you not figure it out? But he'd take those glasses off, he'd go into the telephone booth or whatever it is, and he'd start, just pull that off, and you're like, yeah, here he goes. He's gonna show himself off to the bullies and all the people that beat him up. And I, and I refer to those moments in those movies as your super moments. Where do we get the word super? Well, it comes from supernatural, doing things that are not naturally human. I got thinking, can you think of any super moments in scripture where like the supernatural intervenes into the natural and you're just like, wow. You know, I mean, you think of Superman and you think of all these powers and sometimes you might think of Samson. Oh, remember Samson knocking down the, 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 the building and the pillars of the Philistine castle. And then you think of maybe, maybe you think of Moses. A lot of people think of Moses, oh yeah, when he parted the Red Sea. I mean, who came first, the Bible or Hollywood, right? You've got the Hulk, Samson, you've got the staff, Thor, you know, you got all these things that come from a lot of this biblical genre that we know as the sacred text of scripture that were accounts that have inspired these massive moments of these huge things because we love to think about things that are beyond the natural, things that are super. I think of Moses and the, and the Red Sea, but there's one that comes to my mind that kind of stands out as that moment when God was kind of getting mocked a little bit and God showed off. How many of you are familiar with what happened on Mount Carmel? Are you familiar with this? On Mount Carmel happened one of the most miraculous show-off moments, if you will. God, show your enemies who you are that you have in Scripture. There was a prophet. He went by the name, church, Elijah. Elijah. And he was prophesying at that time because Israel was worshiping false gods. They were being led by wicked kings such as Ahab. And he kept prophesying and, and he was telling them, he was warning them what God had called him to do. And it kind of had reached ahead. And it was time for Elijah to confront Ahab himself you see, they had all these prophets that would worship this God, this molden image, if you will, of Baal. And they had all these worshipers, and Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they had all these worshipers and all these prophets who would prophesy about these false gods, specifically Baal. And Ahab says it's, it's the moment of truth. He's had enough, he confronts it, and Ahab comes out, sees Elijah, and he says, is it you, the troubler of Israel? Elijah kind of responds, I'm the troubler. I'm, I'm the troubler. It's amazing when good becomes evil, right? right? And so Elijah says, here's what we're gonna do. I want you to get together all Israel and come to me at Mount Carmel. All 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, 
all who eat at Jezebel's table, you come and you meet me on top of the mountain. How many of you remember this story? Since Mount Carmel is a real mountain, we know it's not just a story or a cleverly devised tale. This is a scriptural account. He says, I want you to come up and I want you to bring two bulls. We're going to put one on the altar to Baal. And then we're going to put one on the altar to God or to Yahweh. And whoever answers by fire, that's the true God and we'll worship him. Remember this? Do you remember some of the details though? They gather them all. Ahab likes this. They go up. They go to the top of Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people. And he says, how long will you go on limping between two different opinions? Interesting language, isn't that? Limping. That's what it looks like when you're either this side or this side. You're limping. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And all the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I even I. Only, I'm the only prophet left of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls come. And so the 450 prophets of Baal, they come amongst all the people and, and, they, and they get the altar ready, all right? And they, and they set up, they put a, a bull on top of it, okay? And they get ready and they start going around it. The scripture says they're limping around, so I'll limp around, I'm, I'll limp around. Then they start, they start calling on them. And, and if you understand some of the ways they call them, they're shaking, they, come on, Baal. They're going, Baal, you are God, Baal, you are God. And they're going around and they're going around and they're going around. And they're going around. And they're going around. It gets to midday. And they're still going around. Baal, you are God. You are God. You are God. And Elijah's watching this. And around midday, Elijah goes, hey, hey. Shout louder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Baal, you are God. Baal, you are God. Maybe he can't hear you, Elijah throws out. Baal, you're God. They're yelling, Baal, Baal, answer us by fire. He goes, Maybe he's on a trip. This is right in scripture. Maybe he's on a trip. Oh, he might be on a trip. Baal, you're God, you're God. And then he literally says, maybe he's off relieving himself. <laughs> they begin to cut themselves, scripture says. That was part of their practice. I want you to picture about the size of this room. There's probably maybe 600, 700 here. Picture around that size going around an altar. See, it's one thing to watch me going in a circle. Imagine that many people going around, cutting themselves because they felt maybe if they sacrifice blood and they're going around and, and, Mo, and, and Elijah's over here, shout louder. Finally, they, they give in. He goes, bring me a bull, bring me a bull, bring me a bull. Puts it on. They're, some of them are bleeding. They're sitting around defeated. Get some water. What? We're gonna call down fire. Why would you get water? Well, we need to douse this thing. I'm gonna leave no doubt. Okay, if you're gonna start a fire, any campers, any people who love to spend time in the woods, you don't start by soaking the wood. That's not a good move, okay? And he soaks it. Looks it over. Hey, another one. What? Yeah, another round. Second round. Let's soak it. Now, now there's like a trough around it. It's completely, completely, the sacrifice is completely soaked. And he's like, mm, one more, one more. What? what? One more. Come on. Leave no doubt. turns he says Yahweh God if you are God answer and boom right comes down this huge flame from heaven right consumes the altar they're all left in shock and they say the Lord he is God the Lord he is God and Elijah said seize the prophets of Baal let them not escape And a great, mighty work was done. And I'll tell you what, there are some brothers and sisters in Christ in the room going, oh, what I would do. There's people that mock what I believe. and what If I could have a flex moment, if I was like at work and they're like, yeah, you're going to church. And I was just like, whoom, how about that? <laughs> then they believe, right? I mean, God, come on. Show off. We see these governments. We see these people. We see this. Like, show yourself. Come on. 
I want to know you're real. I want to see you're real. I want to feel you're real. I don't want to just talk about it. I love church. I love everything, but I want to see a super moment. Why do people want to see that? Normally because something got in there that's making you doubt. We just sang this morning, I will speak to my fear and I'll preach to my doubt. Doubt and fear are the kryptonite of a strong faith. And doesn't the enemy know it? If he can overwhelm you a little bit, if he can get you a little tired, if he can get you hurt, if he can get you scared, he knows it's like kryptonite. Well, probably not for guys like Moses and Elijah, but for me, yeah, it probably would mean that. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, are kind of in that moment. And what we're going to witness in Scripture today is not just one of the super moments of the Bible. I'm going to call it the super moment. It occurs on top of a mountain. It's referred to as the Mount of Transfiguration. Have you ever heard about that and going, what was that all about anyway? If I said, hey, come here real quick. Hey, um, I'm going to grab my seat. Talk to me about the transfiguration. How do you think you'd do? Um, um, uh, I think there were some people there. Wasn't Jesus like white? I think um, it was it was like he was like, what? like, what, what would you do? Why did he do that? I mean, I, yeah, it kind of is an odd text. I don't think I've really kind of dove into it. I was just thought, oh, that's sweet, and moved on. There's a reason for it. And the more you understand the context, especially in Mark, I think it's going to bring more power to it. And I think it's going to encourage you and inspire you if you are tempted with doubt or tempted with fear. And in those moments, and if you've ever had these moments where you feel like God's been a little silent, and you've been saying, God, I need you to show off. Where are you? Why are you silent? I think this is going to be a real encouragement to you today. Because we're going to see how God works with people who are struggling with those things, specifically the disciples in our text today. The passage is Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Let's have a word of prayer and dig into our scripture today. Heavenly Father, Lord, use your word today to inspire and encourage us to live lives more dedicated to you. I pray that we would come ready to receive this word of God with humility. May you get your message out of the way so that you might speak clearly through this. Lord, I pray that you would remove the room of distraction so that we can focus and concentrate on what you have to say. But more importantly, may we leave differently because we sat under the word of God today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is our context? Well, if you recall, the disciples are coming off of that watershed moment. Jesus says to Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the one. And then he says, well, now, listen. I have to be crucified. I will die. I'll rise again three days. But he said it completely plainly. And his now overshadowed everything that was going on in their lives. For this is not only discouraging to hear, it's messing with their theology a little bit. For they had believed that Messiah would come and free them from Roman oppression and set up his kingdom, and now they're hearing he's gonna die? Now this also is leading most likely to some feelings of, what's going on? Were we possibly duped? We don't necessarily hear that, but you know what you go through when you're struggling with doubt. I'll hear people sometimes in doubt say, what if everyone in this room were the ones who are being duped actually? And the world is right, that faith is stupid, it's a crutch, it's all those things. What if we're the ones, I mean, I'm just looking around thinking. Right? You say, really, Chris, you're going to say that in church? Sure, of course. 
There comes a moment in everyone's life where you gotta go, is this real in my life? And Jesus is calling that out. And he says, if it is real, I made you be willing to take up your cross. And their cross wasn't like, oh, my knee, it's a cross to bear. They understood what a cross was. A Roman cross was a torture instrument. And Jesus is saying, we've got to take up our cross. You going to follow me? He's amped that all up, and it was a watershed moment. Are you coming with me or not? And they begin to go together. Scripture says in Mark 9, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Six days? Jesus, you just told them you were going to die. Peter's like, hey, don't talk like that. That's not like, like, get thee behind me, Satan. All right, whoa, 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 whoa. There's so much tension in the room. And Jesus, you're going to let that go six days? Shouldn't we answer this right? What was those six days like? I mean, everywhere they went, everything they did, that was kind of in the back of their minds. Jesus is going to be killed, and he wants us to go with him. How, are, how is this going to happen? I mean, how bad is it going to be? I can only imagine as they walking up that mountain that they're thinking through all these different things about what will be like in the coming days. And Jesus just leaves it out there. Some would immediately think of Exodus chapter 24, where Moses was on Mount Sinai for six days before God revealed himself. And so there's this idea possibly that, that God is about to reveal himself, but we're only reading that from our 21st century eyes, understanding some of those parallel texts. After six days, they're left, and he's leading them up this mountain. I wonder if they stop for dinner. Hey guys, um, Peter, Peter, let's have some food here. The fire's, fire's ready. Here, here you go, here you go, Jesus. Of course this is conjecture, but how do you act when you're overwhelmed by something? I mean, only probably a couple days before. Oh, did you see the blind man? The blind man was like, I'm seeing, I'm seeing. And everybody's like, what? You see? How can you see? Oh, yeah. And then remember the crippled man. That was unbelievable. He just started walking and running around. Jesus, that was awesome. And now Jesus drops this, I'm going to die. Take up your cross and follow me. Here's your food. You could feel, I'm sure, the defeat in the air. You could feel the fear in the air. We had a brother in Christ share with our pastoral staff that when his young wife found out that she uh, had cancer, he said it was like a shadow over our family, everywhere we went. Get the kids in the car and we go places. And he said it was like me, my wife, our three kids and cancer, everywhere we went. Let's have dinner, let's have dinner. But it's there. He says like it overshadowing us. And the, this, this emotion, I want you to feel this emotion of what Jesus shared and it's the context of what happens next. If there's ever a time that they're feeling overwhelmed, they're feeling fearful. They're feeling discouraged. It's during those six days. Isn't it the hardest when you're waiting for the news? Jesus, seeing this, takes them up to a high mountain and watch what scripture says happens. Right before him, he's transfigured. His clothes become radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could ever bleach them. Just complete whiteness. And there appeared with him Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. He sees three people. They see three people. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And why did he say that? Well, well Scripture says, because he didn't know what to say because he was terrified. 
And then, and then a cloud comes and overshadows them. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Do what? Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone. Only Jesus. What? What? What just happened? That, that was a super moment. The supernatural appeared right in front of him. Get Jesus Christ, fully divine, fully man, shows his glory to them. And it's radiant, scripture says. It's a bright, radiant light. The idea behind the word carries sparkling, shining, as if off of a sword or off of a shield. But it's more than that. It's more than that. It was radiant in that it was coming out of Jesus. It wasn't reflection like the moon off of the sun, and it wasn't refraction. It was coming out of him, his glory, and it was bright. Doesn't it change the verse? God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I am the light of the world. This light shines in from him. Jesus shows himself in glory to them. And Peter, he don't know what to do. Should we make tabernacles? Should we set up tents? It's good for us to be here. I don't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. Peter, if you don't know what to say, just be quiet. He just, he throws stuff out. Even scripture has to say, Peter had no idea what to do. What's going on? Why? Why? I want to argue that the disciples needed a confidence boost. The disciples needed a courage boost. And the Mount of Transfiguration is showing them, I just said I'm going to die, but don't worry. This is who I am. What? And all of a sudden, hope is back in the room. All of a sudden, courage is entering back into the room, or should I say, onto the mountain. There's something about mountains in Scripture, isn't there? There's something about mountains. Things happen in regards to God showing himself present on mountains. Did you note that there were two people that showed up there? Moses and Elijah? Wait, wait, were they wearing name tags in heaven? What's going on? They knew somehow they were Moses and Elijah, but isn't that interesting that it's Moses and Elijah? Now, now, now we say things carry connotations, right? Things, when you say names, like if I said Hollywood, we talked about this in the past couple weeks. If I said Hollywood, I'd say, hey, that guy's Hollywood. You would say, oh, he's like that famous, that, that kind of suave about him, right? He's Hollywood. It just carries that thing. If I were to say to you, whose name comes to mind when I say the law? Moses. The law. Moses represented the law. If, if I were to say prophet, many prophets have come and go, but Elijah has got to come to mind. And here's a group of men who are struggling through the theology they thought they had that Messiah would come and, and set up earthly kingdom immediately and take over the Roman Empire and, and he's gonna die. But, but is, he possibly, is he possibly the rebel priest that we shouldn't be following? I mean, is Caiaphas right? I mean, should, should we maybe get away? I mean, is, is, is this, I mean, I don't know. I don't wanna die by crucifixion. I mean, if this guy's not the guy, should we get out of here? Should we start running? Should we start fleeing? And then he, boom, he shows up. He shows his glory and he's got the law next to him and he's got the prophet of prophets next to him. They're going, we're on the right side. Peter's thinking, let's have everybody stick around. I'm not fearful as much of this world when I see I got Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. What an incredible moment of bolstering and building. But, but I, I, I would argue there's even more to the fact. I, I'm really encouraged by these mountaintop Moments And since we're talking about Moses and Elijah, they both had massive mountaintop moments. Can you remember them? First, Moses. You know the context of Moses going up the mountain and his face radiating? 
was him being completely overwhelmed by life. Did you know that? So overwhelmed. How could he be overwhelmed by life, Chris? He, he walked up to the Red Sea and went, boom, and it parted. I mean, didn't he walk around the rest of his life going, you know what I can do? I mean, he was a Bible guy. He had to be like, always like, yeah, right? Exodus 33 paints a very different picture. Moses is talking to the Lord. He says, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I might know you in order to find favor. God, I believe. God, I think you're great, but I'm not feeling it. God, if you're with me, show up. Change this. How many, am I praying it wrong? How do I find favor in your sight? I need a super moment, God. Are you not seeing what I'm going through? I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm, I'm at wit's end. I can't take it. This is the emotion of Moses. God says, my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And Moses returns. He goes, if your presence will not go with me, well, then don't ask me to go. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not you going with us so that we're distinct? I and your people from every other phase of the earth? We're not different if you're not with us, God. We need you. And if you're not coming with me, I don't want to go. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. And then Moses asks one of the most audacious questions you could ever ask God. You know what he asked him? Show me your glory. What? Show me your glory. Excuse Moses, watch it. Show me your glory. You want to actually see God. I want to see you. What's God going to do here? And God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy to whom I have mercy. But you can't see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while I pass by, my glory will pass by you. And I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, literally backside, but my face shall not be seen. The Lord said, go cut for yourself two stone tablets and come up to Mount Sinai. Be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one should come with you. Come by yourself. So he rose early in the morning, he went up Mount Sinai, up on top of the mountain. And the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And this is what came out. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. He continues on. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards earth and he worshiped and he said, if I have now found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us for this is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for you our inheritance. And Moses, he's got his, his confidence back. He comes down from the mountain and remember what happened? His face was glowing. Whoa. His face was glowing. This mountaintop experience was God calling up a super overwhelmed Bible guy, if you will, and saying, hey, I'm here. And he showed himself, even his backside, so Moses wouldn't die. It restored Moses' hope and confidence, and he came back down from that mountain. But it was after God's kid was super overwhelmed. Have you ever been super overwhelmed? Where do you go when you're super overwhelmed? 
Is it a habit? Is it a substance? Is it a place? What is it? Moses went to God. Satan will offer you a million other things to go to but him. And he loves to pick on the most overwhelmed people out there. Well, what about Elijah? I mean, this guy called down fire. What was his mountaintop moment? You got, you got up there on the screen super afraid. Please, Elijah wasn't afraid of nobody. He called down fire. I mean, Elijah was the man, but I'm reading right here. Within a 24-hour period of that fire, Ahab told Jezebel what Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying this, so may the gods do to me even more if I do not make your life as one of those by the end of this day tomorrow. And I bet you probably bet Elijah was like, <laughs> what, what did Jezebel write? She said she's gonna kill you. Hey, <laughs> will you tell her, tell her watch out for some fire? No. You know what happens to Elijah? Scripture says, he ran for his life, fell down in the wilderness, sat under a tree, and asked God for him to die. It's enough now, O oh Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and he slept. Within a 24-hour period, you can go down from calling fire down from heaven to a queen saying, I'm gonna kill you, and going, God, I don't even wanna live anymore. I'm done. You mean I'm capable of getting like the greatest, awesome blessing in my life on Friday and Saturday going, God, where are you? I don't even know if I wanna be alive. Within that short a period, you say, I don't know, but, but if Elijah can get there that quick, how about me. See, often God's most passionate people, like the Elijahs and Moseses, go on some of the most crazy roller coaster rides in their faith. What, what does God do? What does God do to Elijah? Well, one, he bakes him a cake. And this cake has got some stuff in it because it powers him up for some 40 days. And he goes and he goes up to Mount Horeb where God tells him to go. And so on this power, he gets up to the top of the hit mountain. He gets all the way up there. And, and as he's there, God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord. I've been fighting the prophets of Baal. He, he talks about the way he has fought back. And, and now they're out to kill me. And God says, go hide in the cleft. Elijah goes, he gets in the cleft. Do you remember what happened? He's in the cleft of the rock and all of a sudden the wind kicks up. Huge wind going, huge wind. God's not in the wind. He's back in there. All of a sudden the earth starts shaking. A huge earthquake starts going. God's not in the earthquake. Do you remember this? And next, a fire, fire. Oh, if you've ever been around a fire, you feel the heat on your body. That's gotta be God, right? Elijah and fire. Nothing. And then scripture says, Elijah heard a whisper. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? Huh? What are you doing here, Elijah? What, 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 what are you doing here? He came out, he stood. Do you know what the whisper said? What are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous for the Lord and, and I've been fighting the prophets of Baal, but, but now they're out to kill me. They're gonna kill me, God. And God speaks to him in a whisper. Do you ever whisper to someone you're far, far away from? Doesn't make sense, does it? When do you whisper? When you're close. And these mountaintop moments are when God came real close and whispered, what are you doing here? I'm alone. I have 7,000 some prophets ready for you at the bottom of this hill. I want you to call Elisha. 
and get back to what you are doing. You've allowed the noise of this world, if you will, to distract you. Isn't it true when we're our most overwhelmed, it's because we're in over our heads? Isn't it true that we're most scared when people are threatening us or we can't keep up with an opinion that we wanted to have? Isn't it like the enemy to make our lives so noisy, so loud, so many opinions, so many songs, so many words, so much social shame, discouragement that you start going, wait a minute, am I wrong? Wait a minute, am I doing the wrong? Like, am I believing, the, am I the weirdo? Am I crazy? Like, did I get, isn't it like the enemy to get so loud? You can't hear God at all. What was the message on the Mount of Transfiguration? This is my son. Listen to who? Him. Listen to him. And it's the enemy's goal. Young people, college students, senior saints, businessmen, businesswoman, mom, dad. It's the enemy's goal to make your life so stinking loud so stinking noisy with the voices you put in your head of who I have to please and who I need to make happy with the voices that are threatening you. Oh, they're going to do this to me with the voices that say you're terrible. You're ashamed. That's disgusting. If he could just flood you with that, you can't hear God and you're not listening to him. I was in my twenties and I was reading through some of these texts. I used to go on these trips. They were up into Canada, we would go on these canoes, we'd get out in God's creation. And I had a mentor at that age in my life, 24, 25, young married guy, baby on the way. And he said, one of the things you gotta do, Chris, if you really wanna make waves for Jesus is you've got to make time when you're just with him. So you, the team, we're gonna do solo time. I said, what's solo time? It's exactly that. You're gonna go out by yourself. Oh, for like a half an hour? for the next three to four hours. Oh, I'll give you some matches to start a fire so you're not too cold. We'll drop you off at different beaches. This was pre-cell phone era, if you will. And you're just gonna spend time. Grab your Bible, get in the canoes. This morning, I will take you, whatever, pick an area. And I say, can I go to an area over there? I wanna climb up that mountain. I wanna take my Bible up on that mountain. I'm gonna read up there. He goes, that's great. And I remember walking up there and I got up on that mountaintop and I opened up my Bible. No distractions, no noise, incredible perspective. Have you ever been in a high place? Incredible perspective. And you just feel so close to God in those moments. I made this part of my life at least once a year. We try to do it more. I try to do it more. We encourage our staff to do a spiritual day in their calendar year, but a time where I get away and I got no distractions, nothing for hours at a time except the living and active word of God in my hand. Up in creation, in a high area. And you might say, Chris, you don't understand. I can't climb mountains anymore. Well, maybe go out to your sewer hump and sit on that if it takes it, all right? Just find an up area, okay? We call it like Sam Mount to make it glorious. We know what it is. Get on a high area, out in creation. I dare you to not take your phone, just let somebody know you're going and spend a zero distraction time with God. There is something I feel in some ways the, the Lord goes, oh, I see you coming. Yeah, Lord, I'm coming. I see you coming. Look at you coming. Look at you coming. You mean business. You're taking off your coat, if you will. If somebody comes over to my house and they don't take off their jacket, I'm thinking they're not gonna stay that long. I think that's a lot of our prayer lives with God. Hey, why don't you take off your coat? No, no, Lord, you gotta understand, I'm really busy. I got a lot going on. I'm overwhelmed and I'm terrified. <laughs> Time for you. Okay. They come down off this mountain, church. And as they were coming down the mountain, they got thinking. 
he charged them, tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. But, but there was a question that was on their mind. Like, okay, we won't tell them. Why? Because if, if we get this messianic fame going too fast, it'll, it'll pressure us to do something we're not called to do, and that is to go to the cross. So, so he continues, and they ask him a question. They say, well, what, well, why do the scribes say that Elijah must first come? They had just seen Moses and Elijah standing by Jesus. And they're like, it, it, it doesn't, don't the scribes say, doesn't the Bible say Elijah will come before Messiah? But if you're going to die, how is that that? And Jesus says, well, well, what does the scripture say about me? And he continues and he says, Elijah does come first and he comes to restore things. You're not wrong. That's absolutely true. But how does that change what I said to you? And he continues and says this, and how is it written in the son of man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? That doesn't change. Elijah comes and then the Messiah. But how does that change when I told you that I'm going to die? But, but shouldn't Elijah come? And they're, they're working through this. And so Jesus continues and he says, but I tell you, Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased as it was written of him. Now we find from parallel accounts, Jesus says, Elijah is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is Elijah. But you go, wait a minute. I got a verse right here. It says, uh, and, and they asked John the Baptist, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. So what is it? I'm confused, and so are they. I believe John the Baptist was saying, no, I'm not Elijah, because they were at, are you Elijah? No, I'm not Elijah. I'm actually John the Baptist. What Jesus is saying, John the Baptist is a type of Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah. He was a forerunner, just as Elijah was a forerunner to prepare the way of the Lord. In fact, Jesus says, that's who John the Baptist was in the Gospels of Matthew, he was Elijah. But clearly, it was a type of, just like Joseph is a type of Christ in the Old Testament, you look at his life and you see the life of Christ, rejection, forgiveness of people who didn't know what they were doing. Elijah, or excuse me, John the Baptist was a type of Elijah. And what was hanging up on them was this, this verse here. It's in Malachi. Scripture says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great dreadful day of the Lord comes. So, so there's this sense that Elijah or someone coming in the spirit of Elijah or a type of Elijah or Elijah himself is going to come not only just before the Messiah, but possibly before the second coming as well. Has it not been fully fulfilled? And so there's this, there's this shadow over this text that's very difficult to grasp. But it seems as if that will occur also in the future, as if the fulfillment isn't quite complete. And one will come in the spirit of Elijah. There are some even believe it will occur with a super moment. Have you ever heard of the two witnesses in Revelation? Things to come? If you were with us during our Revelation series, we read about these two witnesses and we studied them. They come during the tribulation period and they come prophesying judgment and to turn back to the things of God. And God says, I'll grant these two witnesses authority and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Oh, will it be interesting one day when these two walk the streets? What happens? These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord in the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Whoa. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain might fall during the days of their prophesying. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Elijah was one who shut the skies up of rain. And, and they have the power to strike the earth and turn water into blood and every kind of plague as often as they desire. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 that sounds like Moses. And some have concluded, is this Elijah and Moses? Is that the two witnesses? And it's impossible to be dogmatic, but it is interesting that the devil and Michael Archangel have a fight over someone's body. Who's? Moses's. It is interesting that Elijah was called up into heaven and didn't die. For it's destined that every man should die and then the judgment. So statistics are clear. 10 out of 10 people die. Elijah didn't. 
And so there's some have concluded, maybe that's them, and they lean that way. But, but either, listen to, listen to what happens. They have finished their testimony. When they finish their testimony, the beast, that is the Antichrist, rises from the bottomless pit and makes war with them and conquers and kills them. They're the only, he's the only one who can kill them, for Satan is energizing him, right? And their dead bodies lie in the street of the great city. Symbolically, it's called Sodom in Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. They just leave the two witnesses on the ground. And those who dwell on earth, they make it a holiday. They start celebrating and rejoicing and making merry and exchanging presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on earth, you troublers of Israel. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God enters them. And they stand up on their feet and great fear falls on all who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And up they went. Super moments where supernatural is seen by natural men. You say, I need a super moment. I would love that. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm walking in here, Chris. I'm scared of some things. I'm scared of some things. I'm, I'm scared of financial consequences on our family. I'm scared of, of government pressure, I fear. I'm, I'm scared of my future. I'm overwhelmed by all my commitments. I can't keep up with people's expectations of me. Maybe you're just, I'm fearful of a disease that I just found out. I'm all these things. You know, before you turn to what the world would tell you to go to. Oh, this'll numb the pain. This will make it better. Before you go, you know what? I'm walking away from this faith thing. Before you go, maybe I got duped. Before you go, I, I don't know if this is working out for me. Before you go there, mark the change that happened in those men when they saw the glory of God on that mountaintop. Peter writes, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories. We didn't follow some cartoon strip. We didn't follow some Marvel superhero. We didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And that brought so much courage, so much confidence, so much vigor to their faith that they all went out and were martyred and killed for the cause, except for one John who was exiled on the island of Patmos and wrote Revelation. Something changed when they came off that mountain. And so I want to encourage you. If you want a super moment, oh yeah, maybe you're not going to see God show up in a supernatural way. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you want to hear from God, I would encourage you. Grab a Bible. Tell someone you love, hey, I'm not going to be around Friday morning from this time to this time. I want to go out. I'm going to get out in creation. Just someone you love so they know where you are. And let God see you coming. Find a high area, if you will. It doesn't have to be a mountain. I know some kids who have a tree fort. Get your Bible and open it up with zero distractions. Before you turn to that place you thought you could go to numb the pain, have you ever tried to go up a mountain and talk to your Savior? It seems that those are the moments when he feels the most close. I would go up after that trip I'd grab my headphones, my Walkman, if you will, and I'd put on that song, Show Me Your Glory. It was a, it was a song that just kind of resonated in my heart. And my mentor said, what I want you to do, Chris, is uh, um, start with Psalm 139. And wherever you see the pronoun area, put your name in there. and Just let the word of God speak to you. And you be silent, no talking. Just be quiet. And I would put that song on, show me your glory. In fact, when I still hear that song, it takes me right back to some of those moments. And I'd start. 
Oh Lord, you have searched Chris and you know Chris. You know when Chris sits down and you know when Chris gets up. You discern Chris's thoughts from afar. You search out Chris's path and his lying down. You're acquainted intimately with everything he does. Even before a word was on Chris's tongue, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem Chris in behind him before and you lay your hand on him. Such knowledge is too wonderful for Chris. It's too high. He can't get it. Where, where can Chris go from your spirit? Where can Chris flee from your presence? I just read. And I wouldn't say anything. And I can tell you, you don't leave different from those times. So I want to encourage anybody out here today. If you've got a negative habit when you're overwhelmed, if you've got a place you go to when you're scared, could I possibly inspire all the church here? Because I'm guessing in a room this size, nobody's done this in this month. Get out in God's creation. Get into a high area. No distractions. Listen to him. And just see if it restores your confidence and your courage, being in the presence of the Almighty and listening to his word. Heavenly Father, use this message today to draw us closer to you. The enemy is so cruel, he comes to seek, kill, and destroy. And he makes our lives so noisy and so loud. And we say things like, God, I feel like you're quiet. I feel like you're not listening. And, and you're just begging us to go, maybe I should be quiet and listen to you. But Lord, in the void, if we don't have your word, we'll fill in the void with our thoughts and our narratives and our fears and our overwhelm. We need the word of God. We need to be quiet and listen. to the broken heart. You provide courage to the fearful. And they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. God, give us the inspiration, even this week, to spend some solo time with the maker of the mountains we climb. Amen.